This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Inside the bulletin, you'll find a copy of the notes for today's message. You can write down some notes and follow along as we go through uh, our study of Ephesians here today. Uh, We've been studying the book of Ephesians uh, since the beginning of last year, beginning of 2018. We've just been going verse by verse uh, through the book. It's been an encouragement for me to study through it, and I hope it's been a blessing for you to hear these messages. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at huicala.org. We even have a smartphone app you can download to your phone or your tablet, stay caught up that way. We have a SoundCloud channel, uh, all that cool stuff. And so if you need to catch up on some messages, you can do that. This is message number 53. So if this is your first Sunday, you've got a lot of catching up to do, all right? Uh, but I know that the book of Ephesians will be a help to you. Again, it's divided very, uh, very neatly for us. First three chapters, very heavy doctrinally. Uh, following three chapters, uh, chapters four through six, very heavy practically. Um, who we are in Jesus Christ, first three chapters. What that means for us and how we live our life, chapters four through six. And so we're winding down. The last three weeks have been some of the, my favorite to preach through, the armor of God. Now, when we do battle as Christians, when we fight against spiritual wickedness, the Bible says, how do we fight? What resources has God given us to protect ourselves, but also to mount an offense? Uh, we took a look at that over the last three weeks. If you missed those messages, you can get caught up there. Now, some people, depending on who you are, have lumped this uh, prayer into the armor of God. Now, I'm putting it as something totally different because it doesn't match up with another piece of an actual piece of armor, uh, but it also goes along with the spiritual warfare that we face. Uh, So I've entitled today's message, Praying in the Spirit. Uh, So let's find ourselves in Ephesians chapter uh, 6 this morning. We're starting verse number um, 10 and read through the uh, chapter number, I'm sorry, verse number 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18 through 20 is where we're gonna spend our time today. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit watching thereunto into all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were... uh, First-generation Christians, really, for the most part, uh, they, they didn't grow up in Christian homes themselves. They were tra- kind of teenagers trying to figure it out when they got married, and they had made a commitment at 18 years old that whenever uh, we have kids, if God were to give us kids, we're going to have them in church every time the doors are open. That's a great commitment for parents to make. 
And so they were just kind of learning as they went. And I think uh, uh, with a little bit of hindsight being 2020, I think my parents said there's probably some things they would have done differently, as every parent would say, uh, after their kids are up in age a little bit. But as my parents taught us the importance of going to church, they taught us uh, to go to Sunday school and they taught us to give. And uh, I remember seeing my dad every single Sunday who'd take out of his left breast pocket an envelope and put it in the offering basket. My dad taught me from a very early age that you give every single week because that's what Christians do. And I learned that from my dad. I didn't know a lot about the Christian life as a teenager, but I knew that Christians tithe. Uh, that's just what we did. And so my dad taught me that from a young age. That you got birthday money. Grandma gave you $20. $2 of that belonged to the Lord. Man, from a very early age. And that made a massive impression on me. My parents also taught me to, here's, the, here's a, a phrase for you that some of you may have heard, say your prayers. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? You need to say your prayers before you go to bed, right? It's like it's this, this thing that you have to do, like washing your hands or brushing your teeth. It has to be done before your head can ever hit the pillow. You have to say your prayers. If you were a fan of Hulk Hogan back in the day and you were a Hulkamaniac, he would tell you to, brother, you need to take your vitamins and say your prayers. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, sad times. You'll never know WrestleMania and ripping the T-shirt off and shaking. Elsie knows what I'm talking about over there. Dante knows what I'm talking about. Man, you're, you're missing out. But say your prayers was just kind of a, a phrase that people would say, say, make sure you pray. And so for us, saying your prayers meant that uh, you pray before you eat. That was a good thing, right? You need to pray before you eat because uh, Jesus gave thanks for his food. We should all give thanks for our food. Good. Good habit to have, no doubt about it. You pray before you go to bed because that's what you do. Now I'll lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. I said my prayers. I can go to bed now. That's not the praying that the Bible tells us about. Prayer is not something that we say that we check off of our list for the day. Prayer is not something that we do uh, and we can move on with the rest of, of our lives. Prayer is uh, not only uh, something that we do, prayer is an attitude that we have. It's a lifestyle that we lead. And I remember the very first time uh, my parents ever gathered us together in the living room to pray, and it wasn't a mealtime and it wasn't a bedtime. So my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. And so that's another thing I learned as a kid. You pray when it's bedtime, you pray when you eat, and you pray when somebody's sick or about to die. That's the only other times that you prayed. And as I matured in my Christian walk and I got a little bit older and got plugged into a good Bible preaching church, I found that prayer is not a spiritual 911. Prayer is not something that you hope you never need, but it's there in case it's there. Prayer is something that God has gifted us as believers, as children of his, uh, to be able to communicate with him, to have a relationship with him. And so in this passage of scripture, verse number 18, it says uh, that we should pray always with prayer and supplication in the spirit. You see, it's interesting as we jump off here that Paul, again, is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to Christians. This is really important because only Christians can actually pray prayers that God will hear. You see, it's interesting that only we, the only ones with access to prayer to the Father are his children. The only one with access to prayer to the Father is through his children. Now, some people are scratching their heads right here going, wait a minute, doesn't God hear the prayer of an unbeliever? Doesn't God hear the prayers of the unsaved person? What about the person who cries out to God in a really bad situation and says, God, help, does God hear that? Well, it's interesting to understand our relationship with God. 
You see, none of us are born automatically into the family of God. None of us have the right automatically to call God our Father. And when we've been talking about the spiritual battles that we're in, where we're fighting against spiritual wickedness, and God is with us, and God is our Father, God's gonna fight on our behalf, it's important to understand that we are born on the wrong team. We're born fighting against God. Romans chapter five would go so far as to say we were the enemies of God. We weren't automatically his children. You see, we were born at odds with God because of one huge problem that we have, and that's called sin. Our sin has separated us from God. Uh, Because of my sin and God's holiness, because God is holy, because God is righteous, because God can be nowhere in the proximity of sin because of his holiness, if I am sinful, God must remove himself from me, and that automatically creates distance between us, and we can't close the gap on our own because our sin has separated us from God. Now, this is a big deal because not only has our sin separated us from God, on this earth. Not only has it created us not part of God's family, but against God and uh, enemies of God. The Bible would say we're the children of the devil, the children of wrath, the children of disobedience. All of those things, we are against God. And that's a big problem because when we die, God is still holy. And if we are still sinful, God cannot allow us into heaven with our sin. God must reject us from heaven because of our sinful condition. So if we are an enemy of God, if we are sinful human beings, if we are on the wrong team, when we die, we'll be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. It's the worst news you could ever get in your entire life. But I'm getting ready to tell you the best news. Romans chapter five, verse number eight, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus came and died in my place. Someone has to pay the price for our sin. I can pay it, but it means death and separation from God. You can pay it, but it means death and separation from God forever. Or we can allow Jesus Christ to pay the price for us. And if you're willing today to say, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I have sinned against God. I believe that I don't deserve to go to heaven. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he's the only way to heaven. And I'm willing today to put my faith and trust in Jesus as the only savior. You can be saved today. The word saved is a beautiful word. It means that we're saved from the penalty of our sin. It means that we are saved from God's wrath that is coming. It means that we are saved to a new life with Jesus Christ and we're saved to an eternity with God in heaven. Saved is a beautiful word. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we can be saved. You see, friend, you don't have to go through any religious process to be saved. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to be catechized. You don't have to go through some class. You just need to recognize, I have sinned against the holy God, and today I repent. That means turn from my sin, and I turn to Jesus as my only Savior. He's the only hope that you have. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The word born again is the same as saved. You cannot go to heaven unless you are saved. Now, this is a really big deal again, because once you are saved, the Bible says you are automatically adopted into the family of God. It's an awesome thing. We've been taking a look at Galatians on Sunday nights. Galatians chapter four says that we were adopted into the family of God, and we can call God 
Father. He's our Father now. He wasn't our Father before, but He is our Father now by adoption. And friend, if you're here today and there's been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if there was a day when you got saved, you got born again into the family of God, you were adopted as a son, you were adopted as a daughter, and you are now part of the family of God, and you have access to the Father. You didn't have access before. Hey, let me just tell you this. When other people's kids come and ask me for something, I may or may not give it to them, but I'm not obligated to. My kids come and ask me something, it's a little bit different because these are my children, I'm their father. Relationship makes all the difference in the world. Again, those who are not children of God have no access to the Father. In your notes here this morning, you'll see Isaiah chapter 59, verse number one. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, that means your sin, have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Friend, those are some heavy words right there. Your sin separates you from God to the point where he does not hear your prayers. So if you're living in rebellion to God, if you say, there is no God, I don't even know if God really exists. Jesus, I don't need him. I got my own thing going on. If you pray and cry out to God, God's not obligated to hear you or even listen to anything because your sin has pushed God away. And believer, Christian, brother, sister, let me tell you this. If you're living in rebellion against the holy God and you are sinning against him right now and you do not care, know this, God has pushed away from your sin. And he's not obligated to hear your prayers. It's a scary place to be. John chapter 14 says it this way, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater these works that he shall do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's what Jesus says in John 14. I'm going to the Father, and when I go, I'm giving you access to pray to him directly. This was earth-shattering at the time, because the children of Israel before had to go and talk to a priest. Hey, the priest had to make a sacrifice for our sins. Hey, the priest had to talk to God for us. If you read through the book of Exodus, people would go to Moses and say, hey, Moses, I got this thing going on. Can you ask God what he thinks? Moses says, yeah, I'll ask God what he thinks. Moses would ask God what he thinks, and Moses would pass the word along. But now Jesus is saying to the apostles, hey, guys, you can talk directly to the Father because of me. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he's gonna give it to you. Now, again, there's always qualifications with that. Sometimes people want to take verses out of context and say, well, if, if I want a new Ferrari, I just need to pray, and in the name of Jesus, then I'm going to get a new Ferrari. And it says right here that God's got to give it to me. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. God doesn't got to give you nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. And the Bible is not some magic book that I get to read a line out of it and claim something, and God automatically gives me what I want. It doesn't work that way. But Jesus is saying, hey, you have access to the Father now, through the Son. You see, when we're saved, we now have access to the Father. And here's another gift that God gives us. He gives us the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This is a gift like none other. You not only have access to the Father to be able to pray whenever you want, but you have God living inside of you by way of the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16, know you not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, you have uh, what you have of God and you're not your own, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So the moment that you accepted Christ as Savior, the moment that you put your faith and trust in Christ, the moment that you said, God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I accept him as my Lord and Savior and I turn from my sin today, something beautiful happened. First of all, a party kicked off in heaven like no party you've ever seen before. The Bible says that there's much rejoicing in heaven over one soul that comes to repentance. When you guys say they had a party up in heaven that night, it was awesome. Second thing that happened, you went, the Bible says, from darkness to light. You went from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. You went to fighting against God to be, being invited to a seat at God's table. You went from being a child of the devil and a child of disobedience to being an adopted son or daughter of the Father. The Bible says we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Christ is our brother, God is our Father. Phenomenal stuff that, that took place the second that you got saved. And the moment that you confessed your sin and accepted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence in your heart. And the Holy Spirit will be with you until the day that you die. That's a gift. That's what this verse is right here. It says, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit lives inside of every single believer. Now, some people have misunderstood how the Holy Spirit works. They've taken one-off instances like the, in the book, take place in the book of Acts. They say, well, the Holy Spirit uh, comes only after we pray over somebody. Or it's good that you got saved. Now we're gonna pray that you got the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people say things like I say, well, if you accepted Christ as Savior, well, I accepted Christ as Savior, but I don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Please understand, those two things are at odds with one another. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are saved. Everybody with me so far? If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. And if you are not saved, you do not have Somebody's paying attention this morning. Pretty straightforward, right? Well, I got a friend that everybody got in a circle and they prayed over him and he got the Holy Spirit. Take a look at the Bible. Again, I'm gonna help you to be a discerning Christian. And because I love you, I'm gonna say it like this. I don't care what happened to your coworker at his church. I don't care what happened to your grandma at her church. I don't care about Uncle Zeke and what happened when he got the Holy Spirit. I care about what the Bible says. You with me? Look, I don't know nothing about Uncle Zeke. I don't know nothing about your grandma's church. I don't know what happened to your coworker. I just know what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter eight, verse number nine, in your notes. But you're not in the flesh, but are in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. This next phrase is critical. You should probably open up your Bible, highlight it, star it, underline it. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Hmm. Only reason you ain't got the Holy Spirit is because you ain't saved. The only reason you got the Holy Spirit is because you are saved. And if you say, Pastor, you're kind of oversimplifying it because it's super simple, but people confuse this point massively. Their whole, I don't know what to call them, sex of Christianity that would uh, completely and totally put an unnecessary emphasis on the Holy Spirit and attribute things to the Holy Spirit that we don't find in Scripture. 
So it's important to understand, if we're gonna pray in the spirit, what does that mean? Because if you ask 10 Christians what it means to pray in the spirit, you're probably gonna get 10 different answers. But what does the Bible say? You need to understand, first of all, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And there was a kid that would uh, sometimes uh, flip through the channels and I would, I would turn over to uh, TBN and all those other stations on TV that have terrible Bible preaching, but they're highly entertaining to watch. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's kind of fun to watch for a minute until you realize it's blasphemous. It's not so funny anymore. That was a joke. Um, you guys are rough this morning. Um, did we run out of coffee or something? Anyways. Um, but I would hear people say things about the Holy Spirit, like, oh, close your eyes and feel the Holy Spirit wash over you. I thought, what does that feel like? <laughs> close your eyes. Your fingertips tremble, tremble when the Holy Spirit comes by. It's like, I don't see nothing happening here, right? And they talked about the Holy Spirit like it was some mystical force, like, like in Star Wars or something, you know? Like the Holy Spirit is strong with this one over here. It's just like, highly confusing. It, it's funny to talk about it here, but, but here's the thing that's not so funny. People this morning are saying, close your eyes. See if you feel the wind on your face. That's the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. And people are standing there with their eyes closed going, I don't feel nothing. But you know what they'll say? Oh, yeah, I think I feel it. You know why? Because you don't want to be the only idiot in the room that doesn't feel it, right? How many of you feel your fingertips trembling this morning? Yeah. <laughs> don't you? But here's the thing. Do we find that stuff in the Bible? Do we find the Holy Spirit washing over people like a wave so that we can feel it? Do we see uh, smoke rolling from the ceiling? If that happens, find your nearest exits, right? <laughs> Not the Holy Spirit. Who or what is the Holy Spirit? That's critical. First of all, we need to understand the Holy Spirit's a person. It's the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, is equal with God, and is part of this word that we use to describe a triune Godhead that we call the Trinity. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible anywhere. You look as much as you want to, it's not there. It's a word that we use to describe that God exists in three distinct persons, yet is one God. We don't serve three different gods. We serve one God who exists in three distinct persons. We don't have time to break down the the doctrine of the Trinity this morning. We don't have even time to take a cursory flyover of what's referred to as pneumatology, a study of the Holy Spirit. But I'm gonna break down 15 characteristics of the Holy Spirit that help us to understand who he is. First of all, the Holy Spirit is to be God's presence with us forever. Every single one of these has a Bible verse beside it. Every single one of them spelled out in your notes here for you so you don't have to write down anything. You don't have to ask your neighbor what it is. Uh, it's just all there because this is a reference for you. You should take a picture with your phone. You should put it in the back of your Bible. You should laminate this. You should put it on your fridge. You need to refer back. This is a great reference for you. First of all, and here's the thing. The first eight of these, John 14 through 16, is the most that we find ever Jesus talk about the Holy Spirit. And you want to know about the Holy Spirit? Ask Jesus. He tells you all about him, John 14 through 16. It's funny, though, when people want to talk about the Holy Spirit in, in some uh, branches of 
so-called Christianity, I would even say for some folks, they all only want to go to the book of Acts. They only want to talk about signs and miracles. They don't want to talk about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us forever. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you the comforter who's going to be with you forever. He's to be God's comfort in us. When you're going through a difficult time, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you because Jesus promised to never leave us or forsake us. Next, it's really important that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us what Jesus said. Hmm. If you're a Christian, there's ever been a time where you went to do something and you remembered a Bible verse why you shouldn't do that. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. If you've ever gone ahead and done it anyways and you felt like dirt after you did it, that's not guilt. That's the Holy Spirit. That's a gift from God saying, don't go there. Holy Spirit's a gift. It teaches us what Jesus has said. It reminds us what Jesus has said. The Bible says he's going to guide us into all truth. Next, it's going to point to and speak of Jesus. This is critical. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's not going to speak of himself. Here's a crazy thought. Did you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't want a big deal made about the Holy Spirit? You know what the Holy Spirit wants a big deal made out of? Jesus. That's what, what Jesus said. The Spirit's not going to speak of me. He's, going to speak of, he's not going to speak of himself. He's going to speak of me. The Holy Spirit's job is to point out and convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Again, it shows us where we've gone wrong. It, it judges us based on God's word. And the Holy Spirit living inside of us says, don't do this or get up and do this. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Again, it's a gift. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into all truth and away from error. Jesus says the Holy Spirit's gonna guide you into all truth. Imagine this, somebody comes up on the platform this morning and says, I just received a word from the Lord last night. Every single person in this room is gonna be a millionaire by December 31st this year. You don't even need the Holy Spirit to say this guy's an idiot, right? Okay, God gave me a vision that somebody that rolled up today in a black SUV is gonna be a millionaire by the end of this year. And they're gonna tithe to this church when they do that, right? Most of us look at that and go, I'm not really buying this. What causes that? First of all, an understanding of the word. How do you understand the word? The Holy Spirit. Second of all, the Holy Spirit reminds you, wait, why would God bless somebody with a ridiculous amount of money just because they drive a black SUV? And why would he tell this knucklehead that's on the platform saying that he had a dream last night? I had a dream last night about pepperoni pizza, but I didn't get up and tell everybody about it. The Holy Spirit's gonna say, mm, something that's not right about that. Maybe you've been listening to a Christian radio station before and you hear something come on, you go, oop, that, that doesn't really line up with scripture. Maybe you've been reading through a book before and you go, oh yeah, that, that's not true at all. That's the Holy Spirit and it's a gift. It guides you into truth and away from error. And the, the key way, really important to understand, the Holy Spirit always works in conjunction with the word of God, always. Because I've heard people say before, I just really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to, to uh, leave my wife and start fresh. Wasn't the Holy Spirit. You need to check your Bible. Check your Bible. I really felt the Holy Spirit leading me to, uh, you know, skim a little bit of money off the top so I could pay my bills. Wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always works in conjunction with God's word, always, and he leads you into truth, not error. Next, Holy Spirit redirects our focus to Jesus. Again, John 16, 13. The Holy Spirit's not gonna talk about himself. The Holy Spirit's gonna lead us to Jesus. 
I've even heard people before, and I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to tell somebody that they're wrong, pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, give us your power. We never find the Holy Spirit directly addressed in the Bible at all. When Jesus prays, he never prays to the Spirit. He always prays to the Father. You take a look at Paul. When Paul prays, he prays to the Father. Now, he'll pray to the Father that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit will do something, but we never find the Holy Spirit directly addressed. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't want the spotlight. The Holy Spirit's a reflector to put the spotlight on Jesus because it's all about Jesus. Holy Spirit won't speak of himself. He's going to guide us to Jesus. That's the goal, a purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Now, all of those were direct quotes from Jesus himself, every single one of them. Acts chapter one, verse number eight, also a direct quote. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me. The Holy Spirit gives us power to share our faith with other people, to be a faithful witness for him. Romans chapter eight, verse number 26, the Holy Spirit gives believers uh, uh, words to pray help to pray when they don't know what to say. You ever sit down and pray with God before and you don't even know what to say? You're just like, God, I don't even know where to start. The Bible says the Holy Spirit makes intercession. He goes for you before God with groanings which cannot be uttered. That when you are just at the end of your rope and you don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit says, oh, Anthony, I got this. And he prays on our behalf to God. We don't have to say a word because the Holy Spirit's doing the work for us. Now, again, some people have misinterpreted that verse to think that it means that we're supposed to pray in an unknown language. And I'm just going to start uh, rattling off everything that comes off the top of my head, and, and that's going to be praying in the Spirit, or that's going to be the Holy Spirit speaking for me. We, again, we don't find this in Scripture anywhere whatsoever. And when anybody spoke in tongues, and again, this comes when some people talk about praying in the Spirit. Let me just tell you, you tell some of your coworkers that you prayed in the Spirit this morning, they're going to give you some really funny looks and ask if you speak in tongues. And the answer is, speaking in tongues in the Bible was always a known language. It was always used for the sake of communicating the gospel. Critical. If I uh, am going to this morning speak the gospel in Japanese. I would get the gift of tongues. I don't know a lick of Japanese other than arigato gozaimasu. That's all I know. But I'm going to let it rip in Japanese this morning. My friend Manuel got the gift of interpreting tongues, and he says, guys, for everybody that doesn't speak Japanese this morning, I'm going to interpret into English. And he hears me speaking Japanese. He doesn't speak Japanese, but he interprets it into English perfectly because the Holy Spirit's given him the gift of interpretation. That's how biblical tongues work. And for everybody that speaks Japanese here today, they said, praise God, I get to hear the gospel in my own language. This is awesome. And how do you know it's the real deal? Because the Holy Spirit did it, not me, not Manuel. We're just a couple of dudes filled with the Spirit doing God's work. Now, here's the thing. Because we now have a completed copy of God's word, we don't need anybody to authenticate messages from God. We don't need anybody to translate the word of God. We have the word of God in a written form. We no longer need the gift of tongues. Therefore, we don't use it anymore. And again, somebody who says, Kawasaki, Yamaha, should have bought a Honda, Suzuki, Yamaha, should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda, yummy, 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 That is not the biblical gift of speaking in tongues. It is not. It is nonsense. Simple. That's not praying in tongues. That's not speaking in tongues. That's, the Bible says if you can't have somebody interpret what you're saying, you just need to keep quiet. 
again, you can read through the book of 1 Corinthians because what happened in the book of 1 Corinthians, people were faking the gift of speaking in tongues. And Paul says, uh-uh, no longer. If somebody's going to do it in church, somebody has to interpret. If you don't have an interpreter, keep your mouth shut and do it at home. So, again, it was always in a known language. I haven't even gotten to the really good part of this message yet. Um, next, the Holy Spirit gives us joy, peace, hope, and power as we serve Jesus. Next, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual strength. And finally, the Holy Spirit produces the character of Jesus in us in the form of love, peace, joy, fruit of the Spirit, right? It's always interesting to me that when people who are super duper hung up on the Holy Spirit get filled with the Holy Spirit, they want to make a word of prophecy about some dude that drove a black SUV. They want to uh, tell about a dream or a vision that they had. They want to speak in tongues. I never heard somebody say, I'm so filled with the Spirit this morning that I just want to love everyone here today. I've never heard that before. I'm so Spirit-filled this morning that I just want to be discerning about God's Word. I'm so Spirit-filled this morning that I want to just be reminded of the things that Jesus has already taught me. Generally, it's some type of showy thing. Generally, it's something that somebody wants to rent out the blaze deal and have somebody come up on the, the, the stage and hit people in the head and have them fall over. Again, we don't find that in Scripture anywhere. And again, you want to talk about legitimate healing in the Bible? The apostles would lay their hands on a man who was on the ground and he would jump up and take off running with his bed. You never see anybody in Scripture get hit when they're standing up and fall over and shake. That's not a biblical thing. So I can say with 100% biblical accuracy that 100% of the faith healing where some guy goes out up on a platform and lays his hands on people to heal them, 100% fake because it's not biblical. You go, man, pastor, lighten it up this morning. I want you to be discerning. I want you to know truth from error. I want you to just know what the Bible says. Again, I don't care what happened to Aunt Gertrude at the Blaisdell. I don't care about your, your cousin Matt who had arthritis in his right ankle, and after some guy smacked him on the forehead, he, it felt a little bit better. Jesus, when he healed people, he had a kid with no holes in his ears, and he touched him, and he had holes in his ears that he could hear. It wasn't a like, did that guy really get healed or not? You got a kid who's crippled since birth, and Jesus lays his hands on him, and he jumps up and takes off running. It wasn't like a, I'm not really sure if that guy got healed or not. No, it's 100% accurate. 100% of the time, that's how the Holy Spirit worked in Scripture. Now, again, lest somebody say, you don't think that God can heal people. I believe God can heal anybody that he wants to at any time that he chooses to in the face of ridiculous odds. But I do not believe a single human being on planet Earth has the ability themselves to lay hands on someone and heal them with 100% accuracy 100% of the time. It just doesn't happen. If it were the case, let's fix healthcare in America. Like, don't run out of place at the Blaisdell and charge 60 bucks a ticket to get in and take an offering at the end. Go up to Shriners Hospital. Go up to Straub. Go up to Queens. Just clear everything out if you have the gift of healing. But if you're a fake and a phony looking for a buck, just swing into town, take a big offering, hit some people who have arthritis in their left ankle, and move on to the next place. And you'll be able to fly in a private jet when you do it, too. That's not spirit-filled healing. That's not the Holy Spirit that is fake. It's phony. 
and it makes real Christians look bad. So, now that we know what the Holy Spirit does and what the Holy Spirit does not do, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? First of all, praying in the Spirit is praying in accordance with the will of the Spirit. I need to know what Jesus says. I need to know what Jesus did. I need to be reminded of those things, and I need to pray in accordance with the will of the Spirit. Next, I need to pray with sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is teaching and illuminating. Have you ever opened up your Bible to read it and like a verse just like jumps off the page at you? You're just like, whoa, where did that come from? Or maybe you've read through your Bible a couple times and you're like, I've never read that verse before, but you know you've read it before. It just, whoa, like that. That's the Holy Spirit illuminating something for you. Now, he didn't reveal it to you because revelation's already taken place. Revelation took place when God revealed himself to men and they wrote the Bible. But he's illuminating to you and allowing you to shine a light on it. And when we pray with the Spirit, I'm gonna pray in accordance with what the Holy Spirit is teaching me as I megadosh on the word of God. Next, praying with the Spirit is a praying with a desire for God's glory above our own comfort. This is a hard one to pray in the Spirit with. Because it means sometimes I'm gonna pray not for what I want, but for what God deems best. I'm not gonna pray for how I want things to go, but I'm gonna pray that God's name would be glorified. I'm not gonna pray so that I will always be the hero, but that God will be the hero. And Paul gives some guidelines for how we should pray in the spirit in verse number 18. First of all, he says, pray always. Again, the idea that we say our prayers at bedtime is not a biblical idea. Maybe you pray before bedtime, maybe you don't. But the idea is that we would be in a constant attitude of prayer all the time. Prayers don't have to be long. Sometimes we can just pray, God, help me with this. God, give me the words to say. God, give me comfort. God, give me strength today. God, give me the boldness to talk to that person about Jesus. I'm terrified. God, would you give me wisdom in this situation that I'm dealing with? God, would you work these circumstances out for for my good? God, would you help Tommy? He's going through a tough time right now. Just give him comfort and give him peace. Let him know that you're there. God, would you bless my church? Would you allow the gospel to go further in our city? God, would you bless my street? Just quick prayers all the time. Some of the best prayers I've ever had in my entire life were on runs that I'd go. Sometimes I'd go for a run and just put music in and, and, and pray. Sometimes I wouldn't, I'd go on a 10, 12 mile run, no music and just pray the whole time. Sometimes I pray when I drive. Sometimes I pray when I'm standing in line somewhere. I had uh, read so many good missionary stories and old preacher stories and stuff like that about guys who would get up uh, before dawn and pray for two hours beside their bedside and how the wood would be worn in the floors there where their knees were every morning as they met with God. And I thought, man, that sounds awesome. I'm gonna start doing it. I wanna pray beside the bed every morning. I made it two days, two days. And you know what happens with me when I pray kneeling beside the bed? <laughs> I find myself on my side beside the bed. And I wake up and I think to myself, what happened? I didn't make it two hours. I didn't make it 20 minutes. Why? Because... It just doesn't work for me. It's hard. So instead of praying for two hours in the morning, you know what I try to do? I try to pray throughout the day. Sometimes God will bring somebody to my mind. I'll think, man, I want to pray for that person. 
Sometimes I'll, uh, somebody will send me a text message. I'll say, hey, I, I just prayed for you. Whatever God brings to my mind, I want to be always, always praying. If somebody says, hey, could you pray for this thing I got going on tomorrow at work? Hey, let's pray right now. We don't have to wait. We can pray right now. That's the idea of praying always. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Psalm 55.17, evening and morning and noon, I will pray and I'll cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Philippians 4.6, be careful for nothing. It means don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto the Lord. One author said it this way, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness where everything we see and experience becomes a kind of prayer lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our Heavenly Father. Everything we see, everything we do, constant attitude of prayer. Some people find it difficult to pray. They feel like, well, I'm, I feel like I'm always just asking God for stuff. It feels weird to kind of ask God for stuff, and it probably does. Imagine this, I haven't talked to my uh, kids maybe in six weeks, eight weeks, and they all automatically call me up the phone and say, hey, Dad, I need 20 bucks. It's like, <laughs> you haven't talked to me in six weeks, and now you want 20 bucks? What? How about a, hey, Dad? How about a, what's going on, Dad? How about a, haven't talked to you in eight weeks, Dad? I think God maybe feels that way sometimes. Oh, God, get me out of this situation. Oh, God, I just got pulled over. How many I get a ticket? Oh, God, I just got a ticket. How my insurance not to go up? Oh, God, I got a ticket. How my wife not to find out? I don't know what you pray. But sometimes we, we use God in, in case of emergency. God doesn't want to be used that way. He wants to be constantly in a state of prayer. Uh, some people have used this acrostic to help them as they pray. Uh, it, the word acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Word supplication is a Bible word that we see in this passage here. This keeps us from getting hung up on just asking God to give me stuff. Adoration is a time of worship, a recognition of how awesome God is. Sometimes you might even look through the Psalms, and sometimes I'll, I'll read through the Psalms, and I'll pray through the Psalms. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God, this is the, the, the name of your son is greater than any other name. The, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, thank you for all that I see. Thank you for all that I experience. That's adoration, just adoring who God is. The next is confession. This is me telling God where I fell short. This is not just the sins that I've committed, but this is the things that I should have done that I didn't do. We sometimes refer to those as the sins of omission. I know I should have done that, but I didn't. I should have read my Bible, but I didn't. I shouldn't be praying, but I'm not. I should have shared my faith, but I didn't. I should have been kind to my wife, but I wasn't. I should have prayed with my kids before they left, but I didn't. God, forgive me for that. It's the confession time where you get, you get to get a clean slate with God. One of the most beautiful promises of God's word, if we confess our sinning, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All I gotta do is confess it. It's over and done with God. God's like, all right, done, move on, let's go. Next, Thanksgiving. Hey, look, we could park it here for, I don't know, a couple hours and just thank God for everything that he's given to us spirit of thanksgiving. And then supplication. Here's the things that I need. You notice again, verse number 18 says, praying with all, in this, with all prayer and supplication. This is not just praying and adoring and worshiping God, but this is also asking God for what we need. He's our Father. And we do that in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Next, it says that we should pray with perseverance. 
We don't have time to look at the passage right now, but Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells of a neighbor who went over to his friend's house and he says, hey man, I got, I got somebody who just came into town. I need you to, to, to lend me something to eat for them. And he says, I can't go to bed. I'll get you in the morning. He says, no, 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 you gotta come. You gotta come, you gotta come. He, he's come here, I need something. Can you help me? And he says, no, stop, go to bed. He says, come on. He says, fine, take whatever you need. And it says that he didn't give it to him for any other reason than his importunity is the word that he uses there. He just would not stop. And Jesus said this, ask and ye shall find, seek and it shall be open unto you, knock. I forget exactly the phraseology, ask, seek, knock, I don't know. But he says, just stay after it. Persevere in prayer. I prayed about it once and it just didn't come to, hey, pray about it every day. Hey, as we get in ready for our fall revival service, we're going to talk about amping up our prayer life by praying and fasting. Don't just pray once. Pray with perseverance. Next, pray with awareness of other believers. <clears throat> so there too, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This word saints is often a misunderstood word. This means fellow believers. This means other Christians. This does not mean someone who has died and been dead for over 100 years and has two verified miracles and has gone through a process of uh, sainthood. We don't find that anywhere in the Bible either. Saints are anyone who's saved. If you're uh, saved today, you're a saint. You say, well, I'm not living like a saint. Then start today. Because the Bible says you are a saint and we should pray for each other. I wanna be aware of what you got going on. Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 12, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. Here's the thing. I can only pray for people if I really kind of know what's going on with them. I can pray general prayers. God, hey, God bless so-and-so. Hey, uh, bless this family, bless that family. Be with whatever needs they have going on. I can do that. But the Bible says that I should know what's going on so that I can pray for you. We sometimes refer to this as intercessory prayer. This means I'm gonna pray on behalf of you to God. But you know what? I can only really pray as much as I know. And again, I don't have to know all your business. I don't wanna know all your business. You don't have to confess anything to me. I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. You don't need a priest. You can go straight to God himself. But I'd like to know what's going on with you. If there's something I can pray with you about. And you know what? We have a really long handshaking time here. If you're a first-time guest, uh, that handshaking time we did, we did it every Sunday. Because oftentimes many Christians will come into the service late, they'll leave early, and they'll never get a chance to fellowship with other Christians. This is just like a built-in fellowship time where we do what the church is supposed to do, talk to each other. And one of the questions we should ask each other, hey, how can I pray for you? What's something you got going on this week that I can pray with you about? Actually, pray for it. Intercessory prayer. Going on, verse number 19, Paul says, and pray for me that the utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for your pastor, if you would. Nothing more encouraging when people say, hey, pastor, I prayed for you today. Man, I need it. I really do. You say, well, how, how do I pray for you? You can always pray for wisdom for me. It's the first thing I put on my prayer list to pray for myself every single day. Pray that God will give me wisdom. But Jesus was speaking of his crucifixion that would take place. I'm not putting myself in the place of Christ, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But Jesus said this, if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. That's exactly what happened. Christ was thrown into jail, and his disciples split. The Bible says that the pastor is the under-shepherd under Christ himself. It's my job to guide you as sheep. And 
many churches have been taken out because the pastor fell into sin, did things that were inappropriate. Well, the church was carnal and turn on the pastor. I don't know. But pray for your pastor. Pray for me. Man, I, I need your prayers. And Paul says, hey, pray for me that the word might go forth. That leads us to finally pray for the reach of the gospel. You know, other places Paul would say, hey, pray for this situation I'm in and stuff like that. But Paul's number one prayer request for, was for the sake of the gospel. I've been praying for who we call a Baptist church for two years before it ever even started. So for eight years, I've been praying that who we call a Baptist church would be a lighthouse of the gospel in the city of Honolulu until Jesus comes back. That this thing that you and I are a part of will far outlive us and that the gospel will continue to go forth and the Bible will continue to be preached because of the work that you and I are doing today. We went out yesterday, uh, about 15 or 20 of us, and went out to the Kahala neighborhood and passed out invitations and tried to strike up conversations with people to talk to people about Jesus. Why? Because we want to use the gospel to shine the light in our community. Do it every single Saturday, 930. You're welcome to join us anytime you want to. But pray for the reach of the gospel. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. This church exists for the gospel, simple as that. Sure, we're here to give you the tools that you need to put in your tool belt to walk with Jesus this week, but the end goal of this is the glorification of God and the, and the furtherance of the gospel. That's it, simple as that. So what are some practical ways that we tomorrow morning can pray with the Spirit, pray in the Spirit? First of all, have a regular prayer time. It's easy to put off, oh, I'll pray later. I'm busy right now. I'll, I'll pray later on this afternoon. I'm going to pray tonight before I go to bed. I'm going to pray. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up early and pray. Just pray. I always tell people, 30 seconds of prayer is better than zero seconds of prayer. Now, listen, you're not going to be able to fight the devil very long on 30 seconds of prayer. But it's better than none. Start somewhere. And again, if you're like uh, I was so many years ago, I'm going to pray for two hours tomorrow morning. You're probably not going to make it. I love you and I hope you make it, but you probably won't. If you do, you won't make it two days in a row probably. So you're like, I'm going to prove the pastor wrong. I hope you do. That would be awesome. <laughs> Come tell me. <laughs> I'm not going to be up praying two hours early. But you know what I do? I get up about 5 o'clock in the morning and before I go to the gym, and I spend time in the Word, I spend time in prayer every single day because I know if I don't, it probably won't happen. So have a regular prayer time, but then continue to pray throughout the day. Next, keep a prayer list. Sometimes our mind just wonders, and uh, you, some people are sitting there thinking, how on earth could somebody pray for two hours? What would you even pray about? Lord, bless me. Lord, bless my family. Thank you for this day. What else is there? If you have a prayer list, it's very easy to guide through that. Maybe you have names of people that you're praying for that they'll get saved. Maybe names of people that you're praying for that they'll come back to Christ. Maybe names of somebody that you met at church that you haven't seen in a while that you want to reach out to this week. Maybe somebody you're praying to bring to church. Maybe somebody that you're uh, a coworker with that you're having a difficult time with. Maybe you just write down names and you're going to pray through those names. If you've ever been to Who We Call a Baptist Church before today and you fill out a connection card, your name is on a list that I pray through every single week. Every single week. I pray for you. I have a separate prayer list that I pray for our family and the specific needs of our family that I pray through as well. I have a, a list because the cool thing about a list is you get a chance to go back and see later how God's answered prayers. Um, I found a, a prayer list that, that I had made uh, in 2010. 2010, I was praying that God would give us a baby. And I prayed and I prayed and prayed, and God never gave us a baby. 
2011 prayer list. God would give us a baby. Prayed and prayed and prayed, and God never gave us a baby. 2012, prayed, prayed, prayed. God never gave us a baby. It kept being on there every single year. 2017, my wife says, I'm pregnant. Praise God. And people are like, ha, ha, like Abraham and Sarah, right? <laughs> Bet you didn't see that coming. Oh, no, 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 no. This has been prayed for for like seven years, like eight years. Eight years I've been praying for this. Didn't see it coming. I've been praying for it, man. What are you talking about? Absolutely. But you know what? I had a prayer list to go back to and go, praise God for answered prayers. Man, he's faithful. Next, pray with other Christians. You might run out to the side, outside of your own family. Hey, find a, another brother to pray with. Find another sister to pray with. Our men's events that we have, we have, we have a good spread of food always, but we have to have a prayer together as dudes. And for some guys, it's the first time they've ever prayed with another guy before. That's awesome. That's incredible. Wednesday nights, our connect groups that we have, we always start with prayer. Always. And for some people, they've never prayed in a group before. Awesome. This is going to be great for you. For some of you, your husbands and wives, you never prayed together before. Awesome. Start today. Hey, let's pray together with other Christians. Maybe you got a Christian coworker. Maybe they don't even go to our church, but you can say, hey, would you mind meeting me about five minutes before uh, work starts? I wanna pray on Mondays. Five minutes before we start, we'll just pray for five minutes. Man, that will do something for you that you cannot even fathom. Next, ask someone how you can pray for them. And <laughs> you can write out the side and do it. Hey, how can I pray for you this week? What's something you got going on that I can, can pray with you? Uh, for me, I, uh, I'm terrible at remembering things, and so I have a notebook uh, that I usually keep in the, my back pocket that I write stuff down with. And somebody says, hey, Pastor, could you pray for this? I say, sure, write it down in this, this little notebook that I have here. And I, I put it on my prayer list on Monday, and I pray for it. How can I pray for you this week? If you've ever got a prayer request, you can always fill out one of the connection cards, drop it in the offering basket. You can always uh, shoot me a text message. My email's in my, in my, text, uh, my cell phone numbers in the bulletin every week of the world. You can always reach out to me and let me know how I can pray for you. Ask somebody how you can pray for them and then do it. Here's another thing that will encourage somebody. Tell somebody that you prayed for them. Hey, I prayed for you this morning. That God would bless you. Hey, I know you got that thing going on with your, with your mom. I know that it's, tough, it's heavy on you. I prayed for you this week on that. Uh, somebody shared with me on Wednesday night a health trial that their parents are going through. I've been praying over that this week. And I just want to let people know I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. That'll encourage somebody. And you know what it'll also do? It'll st- stimulate them to say, hey, I want to pray for you too. Hey, thanks for doing that. That means a lot. I'm going to pray for you. And guess what they just did? They not only prayed for somebody else, but then they told somebody that they prayed for them. Man, can you imagine how encouraging that would be to another brother or sister in Christ? Pray for somebody and tell them. Now, don't like bragging. Two hours with God this morning on my knees. I've got a worn spot by the bed. I called out your name before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Don't do that, okay? Nobody wants to show off. Don't be a show off. Just say, hey, man, I prayed for you this morning. I'll encourage somebody. Next, pray for wisdom and guidance from the Spirit. Again, I want uh, God, the Holy Spirit, to guide me as I pray and to uh, help me to pray for the people who need it the most and to encourage the people who need it the most. Next, pray for gospel opportunities. I want to pray for a chance to tell somebody about Jesus. I want to pray that God would use me to say, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I want God to use me to tell people how they can avoid hell and spend eternity in heaven. And I want an opportunity for that. And here's what I find. When I pray for opportunities, 
I get opportunities. Crazy how that works, huh? Because here's what I found too. When I'm praying for opportunities, I'm looking for opportunities. Looking for opportunities. I remember I had um, a guy had visited our church before and uh, I had uh, uh, tried to go by his house and share the gospel with him because he wasn't saved, he wasn't home. On the way back, I had to stop by the DMV, and everybody hates the DMV. Uh, and the DMV over there in Dillingham at the time, there was a 7-Eleven across the way. I was so bummed out because not only was the guy not home that I wanted to share the gospel with, and I've been praying all day that God would let me get the gospel to him. <laughs> not only did this guy not home, not only did I not get to share the gospel, I had to go to the DMV. It's just a terrible day altogether. All there was a guy standing out front uh, smoking a cigarette. He had on a Vietnam vet hat on. And I walked past and said, hey, man, thanks for serving our country. And he goes, you mean that? Absolutely. I said, I don't, I don't know what you went through. I said, but I know it was terrible. I know, I know our country didn't treat you right. I'm sorry for that. Dude started bawling like a baby. And we started talking about stuff. He told me where he, he grew up in Southern California. I told me he's living in Southern California. We talked stories for a little while, stuff like that. And I said, he was like, man, what kind of work do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He was like, no way. He goes, I got so many questions. He goes, but you ain't got time for it. I said, hit me with one. I got time for one. He goes, what happens after all this is over? I don't know. I don't know, man. A lot of different theories out there. No, I've been praying for opportunities that day. I was just like, oh, well, that happens to be one of my favorite questions to, to answer. Hey, Amen. I got to, to share the gospel with a Vietnam vet outside of the 7-Eleven. You got saved there. Smoking a cigarette. <laughs> Why? Why? Because I'm awesome? No, because I've been praying that God would use me, and God does. Well, does that happen every time you pray for an opportunity to lead somebody to Christ? No, I wish it did, but it doesn't. But I still pray for opportunities. I still want to be ready. I still want God to use me. Pray for opportunities. What Paul said, I pray that the gospel will go further as a result of that. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven is your home, you don't have access to pray to God. You're on the wrong team. And when you die, you'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell. The majority of the people in this room, I know your story about how you came to Christ and put your faith and trust in Christ. You will be separated from the majority of the people in this room when that time comes. I'm not trying to scare you into making a decision. I just want you to know the real deal. But Jesus Christ loves you and he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you put your faith and trust in him today, you could be saved and you never have to worry about it ever again. You can be a child of God here today by your faith. For those of us that are children of God, one of the greatest neglected resources we have at our disposal is prayer. Let's pray this week. Let's pray with another Christian. Let's pray for another Christian. Pray for our church. Pray for the gospel and pray for gospel opportunities. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.